we've been talking about the path of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, but today I'd like us to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. So, you know, it's Psalm, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And we're talking about this path. Now, it's important for us to understand that the path of wisdom that we see in the Old Testament is carried forward into the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, as he's discipling, a lot of the discipling he's doing is through parables. The parables are vivid word pictures that are meant to impress deeply into us so that they change the fabric of the way we think and the way we act. So in Matthew 13, which is a whole chapter on parables, you come towards the end of the chapter and Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasures things old and things new. The idea is that as the work of discipling us in Christ's footsteps, as Jesus is doing that, as we read the scriptures and look at the New Testaments and we sense that this is going on, it's going to bring us to a point of action. And that point of action is going to be an outward display of the changes that have happened within us, in our character, in our thinking. The way Jesus changes us inwardly is going to be manifested in the way we act outwardly at a particular time and situation. Now, in Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon's writing, and he says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from all his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, yet that they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's an interesting play here. All of this words about time, and then this aspect that's true of us, God set eternity in our hearts. That's just always true. 
many of you would probably say it's a miracle that you're here. And the reason it's a miracle that you're here is that at one point in time, you were a teenager. And when you were a teenager, you really thought eternity was your fate. Uh, teenagers basically think, how long are they going to be here? Forever. And they do, I did, some pretty dumb things. I remember the Porsche dealer sending me to Miami to pick up the hottest Porsche Porsche put on the street at the time. What do you think I did when I got free reins behind the wheel of that car? I left the pay booth at the Miami where I picked up my sticker and I took that thing to the red line in the first four gears. I just didn't dare put it in fifth gear. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you a few other exploits that happened with that same car before I gave it to the dealership the next morning. They let me keep it overnight. Can you believe that? Yep. It was an amazing thing that I lived through those years. You go through the scripture and you see people that are wise. King David was wise. We remember Solomon. We remember the Proverbs of Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. Yet when we come into the New Testament and we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus speaks of himself in reference to Solomon. Now I'm saying this to you about Jesus and Solomon because I want to connect you to Jesus to connect you to Solomon. Uh, a lot of times we have a very difficult time thinking, what is my connection to the Old Testament? What's, how do I read these things of wisdom, and how do I think about me living in this time? Well, Jesus relates himself directly to Solomon. He said the, in, in Matthew 12, 42, the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Hear that? We think of Solomon, wisest man, and then Jesus is saying of himself, greater. Now, you compare the two, Solomon isn't even going to hold a candle to the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus. It tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. There's tremendous language here. But Jesus is constantly discipling us in this wisdom tradition. Now, I just want to shift gears in saying back to the book of Ecclesiastes that time is an element of wisdom. We always need to be cognizant, conscious. Where are we in our time in our life, you know? You get children, it says in the Psalms, even a child is known by his doings. 
That's the way we think of children. They're not excluded. And then we're told to learn from the time that we're children. You remember the, the verse? How did we talk a few weeks back? When early Christian education was taking place in the United States or in colonial America and they were teaching children to read, they taught them with the Bible. The first verse in the Bible that they taught them, train up a child in the way that it should go, and when it is old, it will not depart from it. Why did they use that verse? There's only one word in that verse that has two syllables. You sit down and try and write a sentence that's got that many words, all with one syllable except one. I, I think you'd probably have a hard time making a constructive sentence. But they would teach this. Why? What were they doing? Well, they were inculcating into these children all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in the scripture. And part of this is the whole element of our recognizing time, where we are in our life. Now, time is a critical issue. Now, I want to make a negative example. Today, you can see all kinds of commercial advertising that deals with time, telling us basically, like for instance, right now, there is, I believe it's a Lexus ad that's been running for the last month, and it talks about all those failed novels that you never wrote, and it talks about all those world trips that you never took, but then they tell you that this is a time that you don't want to miss because they have Lexuses on sale. So you need to cash in on this time. If any of you are able to do that and can get me one, I'll even take your car you trade in on a Lexus. That would be all right too. But uh, th There's like that. Back in the 60s, there was a huge error that was made. Um, there was a man by the name of George Gilder, and he wrote a book about this, and it was an issue of time. Uh, the name of the book, kind of an uh, enticing title, it's called Sexual Suicide. How do you like to have written that book? Sexual Suicide by John Kinzer. I don't know, that, I don't know if I could find a call to a church if I wrote that book and got it published. But that was the name of this book. And in that book, he basically talked about how there was this error in human wisdom that led to human individuality, to a level of rebelliousness, but specifically in the feminine culture that led to a militant type of feminism that led women to pursue a college education that led women to pursue a career that led women to delay the whole issue of marriage and then to continue to delay that through career advancement. These are all too familiar to us. What happened? Well, what happened, Gilder was documenting, was that all too many of these women got to the point of their 30s 
And all of a sudden, in those women, a light bulb went off. Or what light bulb went on. And the light bulb said this, I'd like to have a family. But they're already in their 30s. There isn't a man. Well, now it's going to take time for a 30-year-old girl to get into a relationship that would lead to a marriage, that would lead to having children. And what's George Gilder saying the sexual suicide for this woman is? She missed her time. Many of these women who were able to be married, if they were able to have a child, very few of them were able to construct the kind of family that they would have liked. It was just too late. Many of these women, when they expressed what their desires were in a relationship, the men realized then that they probably needed to look for a younger woman. And Gilder documents through the narratives that he had interacting with these women about how these women, following human wisdom, had acted terribly unwise. And it led to them not being able to be the kind of person that they would like to have actually become. Uh, my sister never married. I can tell you that she says with tears, there's only two things she ever wanted in life. One was to get married, and the other was to have a family. She's a couple years younger than me, and it's, she knows that at least the having the family and probably the getting married is just not going to be a part of her life. Time for us as Christians is something that we have to take into account all the time. What is God doing in our life? We come to the New Testament. Now, the New Testament refers to time repeatedly all through the New Testament. There's references. Jesus makes reference to time. The apostles make reference to time. Time is something that we're given. It's a stewardship. It's a gift. Today, uh, ironically, in the last 10, 15 years, it's basically referred to in the business culture as a new level of currency. People are interested in being financially compensated. They're interested in doing work, but a lot of times what they're saying is they don't want it to interfere with their time. Time is critical. One of the first things that the scripture tells us about time in the New Testament is this. Now is the time of salvation. Now, if there's anything that we need to understand is that we are given a time to come to faith in Christ. If you're hearing the gospel message and it's resonating in the reality of your thinking and you're saying to yourself, I know that's something I need to do. I need 
to personally repent of my sins. I personally need to entrust myself to the person of Jesus Christ. Well, the emphasis is in this word now. <laughs> now, there's, there are not a lot of verses that throw the word now into conjunction with the words that deal with time. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in reference to salvation, when we know the gospel message, when we understand, if we can say it this way, the demands of faith and repentance and commitment, that is the time, and it should never be delayed. One of our denominational pastors who died just a couple of years ago is a man by the name of Jim Kennedy. He was a pastor in Fort Lauderdale, a huge church down there. And he was a pastor, but also he was an academic. And he was always studying things and trying to figure out how to make the gospel more relevant to people and connect with people as he preached to them. And about 25 years ago, there began to be a large number of uh, written and verbal accounts of people who had expired, either in an accident or in an operating table, had been pronounced dead, maybe had been pronounced dead and been clinically dead for minutes, even some people up to as much as an hour, and then been resuscitated. There were drowning victims. There had been people that had all kinds of things. He got totally fascinated with this, and he was talking to his elders back and forth about this situation. And they says, oh, you interested in that? We've got a friend right here in Fort Lauderdale. And he died. And he was pronounced dead. And he was dead for like 20 minutes. And then he was revived. Well, can I meet him? Well, yes. So they arranged a dinner meeting with this man. He and Jim Kennedy had repeated uh, lunches and things like that. man began to attend Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, began to hear uh, Dr. Kennedy, and Dr. Kennedy, of course, was pushing him, you need to make your commitment to Christ. And the man kept saying, well, I'm going to, but I'm not ready to. One Sunday, Dr. Kennedy looked out and realized he hadn't seen the man in the normal place that he'd be sitting, and he asked the elders. And they said, you didn't hear about it. No. He was just standing up in a social gathering, and he just, poof, and he was gone. Now, Kennedy then began to use that. I would use that. I would motivate you with that. If it's true that you haven't put your faith in Christ, you haven't committed your life to Christ, we just don't know our time. And so we need to be sure that we have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Over and over again, this comes up. You think of the, the parable of the dinner guests that are invited to the feast. Well, that invitation is an invitation to come and benefit from all of the greatness of salvation that is in Christ. And you remember how various ones refused, but this didn't stop the king. The king continued to send out invitations, continued to send out invitations. That's what we need to do. We need to continually invite people to come and receive the gift of eternal life 
the gift of forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. Now, in the life of Jesus, time comes up repeatedly. You remember how it says of Jesus that they took him after one of his teachings in his own hometown, and they took him out to the edge of a cliff, and they were going to throw him over the side because they didn't like what he was saying. And it says that Jesus walked right through them because it was not yet his time. Now that phrase comes up repeatedly in the life of Christ. It wasn't his time. Now at the end, as he's in the upper room and he's teaching his disciples, you remember how he says it? This is my time. This is Satan's time. And it was within a matter of hours that he was betrayed, tried, and then later condemned and crucified. We need to be sure that we understand that we are given a certain amount of time. Jesus' time ran out all according to God's ordination, but nonetheless, this time marched on to a particular point in time, which was the time of Jesus' death. Now, if we look at our own lives, I'm constantly dealing with people who are somewhat fearful of death. So people will talk about their uh, problems with the fear of death and certain things going on in their life. What does the scripture say about that time? Well, in Hebrews 9.27 and 28, the author of Hebrews talks about this very directly when he says these words, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having offered, been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, but to those who eagerly await him. The element of time here, what is it saying? It is appointed once for a person to die. I have an appointment, you have an appointment. That appointment has been determined in God's plans. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat healthily. I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise. None of that is, that's all part of a wise life. But a part of a wise life is not to be worried about the day of one's death. We're to live free in order to know that that death is not going to catch God unawares. If you come into the book of Psalms, and again, I make mention of Psalm 139. I never knew anything about Psalm 139 growing up as a child other than the last two verses. Presbyterian pastors in my youth, in the various churches I went to, 
constantly said these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. How many of you all grew up hearing that verse? Just, yeah, that, that was it. That was Psalm 139 for me. That's all I knew about it. But it's interesting, as we've gotten into the whole issue of dealing with uh, right-to-life issues and the issues of the unborn, how the rest of the psalm has, has come into prominence But two, in verse 16, when it's talking about a child yet to be born, it says this of him, God's eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now just listen to that. The author here is saying, that all the days of his life were written in God's book before there was even one of them. Now, when we say all, that means there's a beginning of those days. There's a completion of those days. Those things are known to God, and we should be comforted that they're known to God. We're not going to uh, catch God off guard if something happens to us and we die suddenly. It should be a comfort to us in every way when we're dealing with people that are sick and we're wanting to prolong their lives, better their lives. And, you know, I've seen people that are being taken care of and they just die. Boom. They're gone. I've seen people where they're being taken care of and it just seems like they're never going to die. And they're just going to breathe on and on and days and days. And you think, when's this person going to die? He's wearing out the living. But the reality of it is, you know, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to. I think of, there's this lady named Catherine Deerflinger. How do you like to have got stuck with that name? Deerflinger. And she was out here at Peak Nursing Home, grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, went to Miami during the boom, was there for the bust. What, that's back in the 1920s, by the way, the boom of the bust. <laughs> and she raised two children down there. Her husband diverted them down there. Well, now she's 96 and she's living up here, and I'm out ministering to her. You say, how do you do that? I says, well, Catherine, do you want to talk to your friends down in Miami? Well, I couldn't do that. I says, well, sure you could. So I called the Presbyterian Church through her daughter, found out some of her friends in the neighborhood. She says, I couldn't hear that on a cell phone. Oh, you just never know. So I made an arrangement, called the woman up and her husband down in Miami. Yep. And I says, well, Catherine, they want to talk to you. And she couldn't believe it. Put it on speakerphone. She had a big conversation. You know what she wanted to know? How's my mango tree doing? (laughs) That's all she wanted to know. How's my mango tree doing? Every time I visited her, she had one question. What do you think the one question she had for the pastor was? Why doesn't God take me home? (laughs) I can't see what good I am to anybody. And I just kept telling her, you're having a great ministry. 
You're having a great ministry to your daughter and her husband and their children and blah, 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 blah. It's appointed. It's appointed. All the days of our life, all that time is written in that book. All right. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, it tells us this. If we've got time, we're to pursue God during all of that time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it ends with this chapter. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, and then it goes on and on. Now, you all have got time. You all have got a reasonable amount of health. Here's the key. Reading is going to make your life full. That's what the old literary giant from England said a couple hundred years ago. Reading this book makes your life full. Writing down what God's doing in your life gives you an exact sense of what God's doing in your life. Then as you discuss these things with one another and speak of them and interact with one another, God makes you a ready witness and a ready piece of encouragement to others. Reading makes the full man. Writing makes the exact man. Speaking makes the ready man. How do we do this? I want to just get real practical at the end. How how do you take time with God like this? Just make an appointment. Make daily appointments, brief ones every day. You might want to take some time like I do from time to time, and I just call a stop to things and go take a book and my Bible and get somewhere by myself. Well, how do you get away from things? Well, that's an easy answer. It might seem not seem so easy. You just take a piece of paper and a pen and just write down everything that comes that's running through your mind. It doesn't, has your mind got about a dozen things running through it? Like, is he going to quit on time? Um, look, that's the way our, all of our minds are like that. The way to hear God's voice is just to sit down and write all that stuff down on a piece of paper. It might take a few minutes. You'll be amazed. Just writing down what's going through your mind will clear your mind. Then you just take favorite part of the Bible and just start reading it. Just slowly, giving time to God to speak, and ask him prayerfully, speak to me, lead me, guide me. After this, for a few minutes, you take that pen and you just begin to write down, what are the things that God is putting into your mind now that you're reading his word? Take time, this is called a discipline of withdrawal. Getting away with God. As you're finishing your time, draw a line and put down after that, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do with the time that I have left? And then just write down two or three notes. What do you think God's impressing upon you to do? And then get up and make a determination to go do those things. Uh, whatever your hand finds to do, what does this proverb say? Do it 
with all your might. And then go do to those things. Don't try and tackle the whole world, but then go do this again. Disciplines of withdrawal, time with God. Disciplines of engagement, times of action and service. You'll find that God's speaking to you all the time. You'll find that you're serving God personally and directly all the time. That's how we find the ability to make our time count for God. Well, let's pray. Bless us, Father in heaven. Help us to see you're the manager of time because you're in eternity. And one day we'll be there too. And time won't be that important. And everything that we do will be appropriate. Now bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.